Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. But first, let's catch up with some of the day's top headlines. After a month-long battle, former presidential candidate Herman Cain has died from coronavirus. Cain was 74 years old. The U.S. GDP shrank by 9.5 percent in the second quarter, highlighting the unprecedented economic damage inflicted by the coronavirus pandemic. The Labor Department also announced that an additional 1.43 million people filed new unemployment claims last week. And federal forces agreed to scale down their presence in Portland, Oregon. The move comes as the Department of Justice plans to send officers to cities across the Midwest in a separate campaign to combat violence. We begin today with a grim milestone. As of this week, more than 150,000 people in the United States have died from COVID-19. It's a number so big, it can be hard to wrap your head around. It's more than 50 times the number of people who died in the attacks on 9-11. The coronavirus has killed more Americans than every war since the Korean War combined. It's like wiping out a city the size of Syracuse, New York or Waco, Texas. Ours is the highest death toll in the world. The United States has less than 5% of the global population and nearly a quarter of all deaths. But there's also a feeling that we've grown numb to this statistic, to the daily tally of the dead. And maybe that's because, as Elsa Chang reports for NPR, our brains just aren't wired to be able to fully comprehend this type of scale. Mm -hmm. Princeton University psychology professor Elkie Weber tells All Things Considered, humans adapt. You get used to being in a state of constant tragedy. Even in war zones, people adjust their expectations when they live in persistent danger. Plus, it's hard for us to connect emotionally when the numbers are so high. Like the difference between 100,000 and 150,000 is huge, right? But science shows that that difference feels abstract. And unlike a war, there's no enemy here to blame. Weber says that, really, the enemy is us. By this rate, we are on track to hit 200,000 deaths by this fall. But public health experts say it doesn't have to be this bad. If 95% of us wore face masks, we could save nearly 50,000 lives before the fall. Figuring out how to get college students, faculty, and staff back to campus this fall could be more difficult than it was to unify East and West Germany. That's what Texas A&M University's president told the Wall Street Journal, and he should know. Earlier in his career, Michael Young worked at the State Department and helped draft a plan to reunite Germany 30 years ago. Yeah, and all colleges are not on the same page about this. A tally by the Chronicle of Higher Education shows 49% of schools plan to hold classes in person, 13% will offer only online classes, and 35% are going to have a mix of both. The journal lays out how so much is at stake. Students' education and their health, Mm -hmm. not to mention billions of dollars in revenue from tuition, dormitories, dining halls, and sports competitions. The University of Michigan estimates its losses from the pandemic could reach $1 billion. And that's just one school. I mean, this is a tough situation because if schools let students back on campus, it could create a public health nightmare. That's right. But the alternative is offering online classes. And not all students are happy with that option, especially Mm -hmm. if the tuition costs stay the same. 
So for the schools that are planning in-person classes, some of them are coming up with rules like mandatory masks. Some schools are asking students to pledge they will stay on campus and won't gather in large groups or invite other students into their dorm rooms. This is going to complicate college sports in a major way, too. Michigan State University and Rutgers University both announced they're quarantining their entire football teams after athletes and staff tested positive for the virus. For schools that are big on football, losing the season would be financially devastating. And if things do go wrong, some institutions are trying to protect themselves from coronavirus-related lawsuits. Mm. Ohio State University and the University of Virginia are reportedly requiring student-athletes to sign waivers that absolve the school of responsibility if they get sick during these optional workouts. Mm. This is going to be a strange year. This morning, NASA launched a new mission to Mars to figure out whether the planet has ever supported life. There won't be any life on the spacecraft, though. NASA is sending a rover, which is inspiringly named Perseverance, as part of a mission that has an extremely practical name, Operation Mars Sample Return. The Verge spoke to some NASA scientists to get the details. The rover itself is about the size of an SUV, Mm -hmm. and it's got cameras and all sorts of tools on board. But one scientist explains, you probably can't confirm life on Mars just by flying instruments there. So the most reasonable thing to do is to bring samples back to Earth. Yeah, we already know from past Mars missions that the planet used to have water on it. So this team plans to drop Perseverance in an area of Mars called the Jezero Crater. And scientists suspect that it used to be a giant lake, which would mean that it potentially holds signs of past microbial life. So when the rover touches ground on Mars, probably next February, these scientists will drive it around and spend about a year bottling up samples. And these samples hold so much potential. Remember when the Apollo missions went to the moon and they brought back moon samples? There was only so much that we could do with them at the time. But now that 50 years have passed, scientists just last year were able to open up some of those moon samples for the first time and analyze them in ways that were impossible before. And that means the tubes of Mars stuff that they will collect could be (laughs) teaching us new things decades from now. That's right. One scientist on NASA's team told The Verge, What they're hoping to be able to answer is not just, is there life on other planets, but is the creation of life something that happens incredibly rarely under only the most specific set of circumstances, or is it inevitable? Back in March, when we still didn't know all that much about COVID-19, but it was starting to spread in the U.S., pro basketball player Rudy Gobert was at a press conference. And this was right when the NBA had put new social distancing rules in place. And before he walked away from reporters, Gobert smirked and touched all of the microphones in front of him. Two days later, he tested positive for coronavirus, and he quickly became known as the NBA's patient zero. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Adam Silver suspended the season indefinitely. In the following days, two other players in the league who had come in contact with Gobert also tested positive. Well, tonight, basketball is back, and so is Gobert, but he's still reckoning with the bad rap he got for being so glib about things at first. He tells the Washington Post that he felt personally blamed for the NBA shutdown. It affected his relationship with his teammates, with his fans. At one point, it felt like his spot on the team might have been in jeopardy. But he tried to make things right after his diagnosis. He apologized and he donated $500,000 to fighting coronavirus in the United States and France, which is where he's from. 
Gobert has recovered, and tonight he'll play with the Utah Jazz in one of the NBA's opening games. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of the week's audio stories. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.